You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and it's International Men's Day. We're celebrating it in style here at the station. We have orange lollipops with Triple H stickers on them. It's it's a very exciting moment, rare to have. Um, and I'm joined in the studio now with three amazing guests. I have... Stephen Gamak works as a fitness and exercise specialist with 15 years experience working on projects on children's health, active aging, fitness programming for general populations. He's worked in the UK, Europe, New Zealand, and now we have him gracing our shores in Australia. Stephen is passionate about offering exercise programs that are first and foremost about well-being. He runs his own international fitness and wellness business, SoulFit, with his partner Kate from their base in Sydney. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, Lucy. Nice to be here. Good to have you here. Um, uh, Dr. Jeffrey McGrath has been working for the past 16 years as a GP in Fox Valley Medical Center in Wurunga, which is part of Sydney Adventist Hospital. Jeff enjoys all aspects of general practice and sees his patients of all ages and genders. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Lucy. And David Sider has a background in education and psychology. David Sider has been working as a specialist child, adolescent and family counselor and manager for 20 years in... Uh, child and adolescent mental health facilities. He's worked for many years uh, for the Ted Noss Foundation, where most of David's clients were juvenile justice clients who were legally mandated to attend residential treatment for three months. Not an easy job. Um, Under David's clinical care and management. Accident and emergency as well as community health and has run lots of programs across New South Wales. He also pioneered the clinical care model at Kuringa Youth Development Services, KIDS, and established a number of early intervention programs across northern Sydney. Welcome, David. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Lucy. Um, so, guys, what will we be talking about today? This is your day, but I have uh, shaped some questions, but should they go off off into a different area that's absolutely fine just a little reminder to stay a little bit close to the mic because otherwise we won't hear you um the purpose of the segment is to illustrate how we need to engage with being the change we want to see in our lives so we see professional practitioners such as yourselves for 20 minutes to an hour every week at most i would say and the rest of the time we have to put the work in so in in this segment we want to leave people with practical tips on where to start by sharing personal experience as well as guidance from what you have seen when working in yourselves when doing your own self-care and your own program but also with others that all sound good doable pretty good fantastic all righty so um we're going to start with you jeff Far away. In general practice, obviously we've got a mixture of mental and physical health. What are you seeing in your practice at the moment? Obviously a lot of people are coming in with questions about diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease, obesity, how do I get into an exercise program, which I'm sure we'll be able to talk about later on. Um, In men, I'm also seeing a fair bit of the undiagnosed mental health conditions because of all the somatic complaints that they're getting that we've got to really tease out that there is other issues underneath and I was just talking to someone just recently about one of the things that I am finding out uh, is that there is more um, abuse of men in marriages and workplace than we actually give credit for and they just don't talk about it and the other important thing and it's just a very quick example was yesterday I was talking to a male registered nurse who's got many years of experience, 58 years of age, who was rather distraught 
the fact that he was uh, a doctor asked for a nurse to come and chaperone while they were doing a female examination. He turned up. He said, I'm sorry, I can't have you because you're a male. And the person said, well, I catheterised a female patient about half an hour ago because I was the most senior person. And he felt that stigmatisation as a male. I, he said, I am a registered nurse. So why should it make any difference if it was a female doctor examining a male patient? Would they care whether it was a male or a female nurse chaperoning them if they had one at all? So I'm seeing this little bit of information coming out. I suppose t- to use a word is misandrogenous behaviour. Mm. And people aren't aware of it because it's a subtle, subtle behaviour. It's not a dislike for men. It's just a, a behaviour that we've just slotted into in certain positions. Very interesting you bring that up because it was the first thing that my two first guests, who were the guests, were the presenters of the previous show, show Shimota, um, and uh, both Andrew and Peter both said that there's a lack of awareness of this the um, abuse of men, you know, mm. and that we're so careful with the abuse of women, which which is very prevalent, of course, but that actually in in dealing with one we're actually negating the other we're not mm. we're not saying all abuse is wrong mm. it's not men women children animals it's why are we abusing because it's causing these these major problems and when we leave a group out mm. as there are many disadvantaged groups being left out when we leave a group out which in this case you're saying it, it's stigmatizing to men mm. and most people aren't aware that it's happening mm. and it's the men uh, who are say 50 plus mm-hmm. that uh, in workplace apart from say nursing that feel vulnerable with their positions uh, if they happen to uh, not be performing quite so well and there's a young person coming up through the hierarchy uh, they feel quite vulnerable and we come we find they're coming in to us with a lot of we've mentioned it outside before a lot of somatic complaints mm-hmm. or we find out that um, I'm just not coping as well Mm. or the wives will contact us and say, look, when you get a chance to talk to them, there's a lot of sexual dysfunction going on Mm. and they won't talk to you about it. And we find that people or males who have these issues are quite often stressed out of their brain, Mm. but they won't talk about it and it takes a lot of skill to unravel those informations and trust on the part of the patient. And... uh, both the other doctors in the practice and myself discuss this and we're all finding the same, particularly with our male patients, that there are underlying issues that it takes a while to unravel. And this is all in the, I suppose, if you took under mental health issues, it's like anxiety, stress, it all comes under the same type of heading. It's quite a stress for you as well, isn't it? Because if, you're, if you've got to hold it all together and you've got to tease that out in, under the pressure of a 20-minute appointment... That's actually knowing that if you don't, you don't know when you're going to next see that person. Mm-hmm. Does, do you think that contributes to the, the, your industries? I think so. As well? I think so. Um, if anybody's listening to me at the moment, they'll actually be nodding their heads and saying that I don't keep to time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's partly because maybe I, I do ask questions that opens up a Pandora's box. Maybe I, I do talk too much with patients, but that seems to open up things as well. Uh, a trust happens and I do run behind. It does, at the end of the day, frustrate me 
um, because I appreciate people having to wait. But I do feel that most of the patients that come and see me know that if they're waiting, there's been a reason because I would give them the same length of time. And unfortunately, in um, large bulk billing practices where time is money for the practitioner, a lot of things are left uh, where the patient hasn't had satisfaction as far as diagnosis or they didn't have a chance to say what they really wanted to do because you just don't give the time. So that that's huge. I mean, I mean, I just find that that's so big in terms of the pressure that you're under and the pressure that that the people who are coming to you, they in a way, they've got to learn to get to the point if they actually want help. But that's not their natural way. And that's yeah. where you kind of get people coming in with the symptoms mm-hmm. of, you know, I've I've got high blood pressure, my my heart just doesn't feel quite right, mm-hmm. I'm getting dizzy, but they're not actually saying I'm stressed out, yep. I'm not coping, I feel like I'm being bullied, you know, and it's very difficult. Our first guest was saying it's very difficult for a man to own up that he mm-hmm. actually feels bullied by his wife or yep. his girlfriend. I know that in a, um, a book by Professor John Murtagh called General Practice, he states in there that, roughly 45% of patients that present to general practice with symptoms that they perceive as being a physical illness is actually an underlying uh, psychological illness. Mm. And to find that out is sometimes difficult, um, hard. Uh, It's getting, you know, there's that stigma associated. And fortunately, with younger people, that stigma is being spoken about, which I'm sure we'll hear about after. But with people my age, which I'm in my 60s, they're not talking about it because they, they say that I should be able to kick myself up the backside, get yeah. going, what's wrong with me? They don't talk about it because of that associated stigma. And if we can demystify that somehow in general practice and show that, you know, other people, sports people are coming out telling how they've got their mental health illness that uh, and, and somehow identify that some of the things that are happening to you is actually treatable and... I have a little uh, A4 page that I draw up with somatic complaints, stresses that go into our tank, and I write down, I'll be talking about stress, anxiety, and depression all in one heading. And one day when I was writing this down, I identified that stress, anxiety, depression, at the end, the first letters of those words in that order means that you become a sad person. Mm. And uh, and so this is my quick 10-minute talk to the patient to try and highlight what may be going on, to give them something to think about, which hopefully if we end up needing to send them to a psychologist, will make it so much easier for the psychologist to work on. Because when I've done that A4 page, I've had males and females sit in front of me and just cry and they said, you've just summarised my life without even knowing my life. And that is hard. And it puts you behind. And as you rightly said, it puts pressure on you as a GP. Uh, I live with it. Um, I'm lucky. I, I work with some really, really great doctors that uh, I annoy one of them a fair bit. Mm-hmm. And but de- you support and each other as a team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's very beneficial. David, good good time to bring you in. Uh, that's an interesting quote, isn't it, about so much, so many physical symptoms and so many physical illnesses having a root cause in... Uh, in an emotional or a psychiatric route, a hurt maybe, something undealt with, something that you've been told to be resilient about and get over? 
It is, and, and certainly what we know on the, on the stats based in Australia is that about 50% of uh, teenagers suffering depression will go undiagnosed, so they will never seek treatment. But they do often end up in, at their GPs with other symptoms like uh, you know, fatigue and headaches and, and other somatic symptoms like that. Um, certainly, if I think about my own experience, I mean, what, what actually drove me into a career in mental health uh, was actually when I was 13 and actually my best friend committed suicide. So I was at an all-boys private school, and this was back in 1985. And uh, this was a boy who was in the, 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 the best cricket team, the best rugby team. He was top of every subject. Uh, and one day he actually took his life. And the way the school dealt with it, uh, mind you, this was 1985 in Australia, is the principal got up the next day in assembly and actually said, if any boy talks about this again, you will be suspended. So we actually, we actually never mentioned his name again. So for me personally, one day there's my best friend. I climbed Ayers Rock with him. He came to all my birthday parties. I was on the cricket team and the rugby team with him. And a couple of days later, I could never talk about him again. Mm-hmm. So I think that was very much the culture back uh, in, in the sort of the mid-'80s, uh, early to mid-'80s. Um, thankfully now, that, that wouldn't happen today. If that happened in Australia today, you would have a team of counsellors going into a school and, and helping young people. And I, and I think we are really reducing the stigma around mental illness. Um, but there's some very alarming stats out there. Uh, 25% of teenagers in Australia will go through some form of mental illness through their teenage years. One in every four will go through some form of depression or anxiety. Um, the other thing is, is that in Australia, the World Health Organisation has come out recently and has said that by 2030, that's only about uh, 14 years away, depression will be the leading cause of disease in this country. So the number one reason that people will access GPs and local hospitals, it's not going to be the common cold, the flu, breast cancer, bowel cancer, heart disease. It's actually going to be depression. And I think we need to really look at this right now um, We can't wait to 2030. We have to be addressing this now through early intervention programs, through the medical field and uh, and other fields. And I think if we look, if we take this back to men, I think in this country, men notoriously have this sort of she'll be right attitude. They don't tend to talk much about their problems. Certainly when I go out and visit schools, I'll see the girls talking about emotions and relationships and they say, oh, I broke up with this boy on the weekend. Boys are still talking just about cars and sport and they still don't talk a lot about feelings and they're not getting that sort of emotional intelligence. Um, we still have one of the highest suicide rates in the world for 17 to 25-year-old males. Mm. A lot of those males, and sometimes those suicides aren't recorded because you'll see a, an accident where they've gone straight into a power pole or, or a tree and there's no swerve marks or skid marks and, and that's often just written down as a, as a car accident, not mm. a suicide but um, I think we have to do so much more with, uh, with men. Uh, men have a lot of pressure. And in, in looking at one of the other big stats I've heard recently is that the average father living in, in Sydney only has about 13 seconds of meaningful communication with his child. And that's on an average workday in Sydney. Whoa. So I think men... Uh, the professional men today in Sydney are very time poor. They're often working 12 hours a day. Um, a lot of men say that they don't even have time to sort of sit down and have the family meal with their, 
with their kids. And 13 seconds of, of communication, it's often they'll be saying to their teenager, oh, well, how was school? And they get a bit of a grunt back. But um, I think men are incredibly important for the family unit and also for young people's mental health. Um, the divorce rate now in Australia is, is approaching around 51%. So I see a lot of young males where they're being brought up by single mums. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and often dads aren't on the scene. And, uh, and sorry to throw all those stats out to you, but I'm just sort of trying to set the scene there. And, and I think, yeah, I think being a man today is very difficult. A lot of expectations, a lot of pressure. We're very time poor. We're still not talking a lot about our problems. Um, things are getting better. There are men coming out destigmatizing stuff, but there's a lot more we have to do. So we definitely need to get some the the male role male role models. I'll get that out. The male role models out there and actually walking their talk because you know the the single parents. I mean, there's no you can't stay in a relationship that isn't working, but the father can still be very present. He can still be a role model, um, as can uncles and brothers and sporting. Uh, you know, people in clubs and all of those things. Every single one of us, me, me excluded because I'm female at this moment in time, <laughs> um, I can't be, you know, but I can be an example of what a woman is. So, you know, and we all need to be those role models in each other's lives and in our children's lives, regardless of whether they're our biological children or not. Coming to you, Stephen, David mentioned something there that I think is really uh, important. Uh the young friend of his that took his life was incredibly successful in the way that we view success in the world today. He was great at sports. He was great academically. He was well-respected in the school, et cetera, et cetera. But there's this underlying something going on. So it's not about having an amazingly fit body and necessarily being completely active that stops poor mental health. You work in a slightly different way with the body, don't you? It's not so much about building the muscles and, and getting yourself... Well, I'm sure some of your programs are about getting your fit, yourself fit for an activity, but there's, there's a connection aspect for you that's crucial, isn't there? Yeah, there definitely is. Um, listening to the two guys, they made some great points there, um, which I definitely would like to touch upon. I think for, from my point of view with... with people and their mental health and, and boys and men in particular exercise for me becomes more about um movement the movement of the body being so being fit in your body to go about your daily life so it becomes much more than and getting to an end goal of being really good at a sport or being really fit or being the best at this or the best at that but much more about how you feel having done the the exercise and there's a there's a big pressure to be really good at sport for for young people in particular, mm. but also at any age. You know, we use it as banter to say you you're not good at that. Um, but what we could do, and what I like, what I like to do with exercise is to make it more about how do you feel in your body when you're doing it. So, are you feeling um, tense? Have you got pressure? Have you got anxiety? And um, we're seeing that a lot more with young people, the anxiety and stress they have just being at school, the pressure on them to achieve. Um, and movement and exercise is a really good way to kind of combat that. So it's a chance for a child, so a young child, but also for men, for anyone of any age, and obviously women as well, to feel the body in movement. And 
touching on that fit for life is a very big thing. So not needing to be super fit. And I've been there myself where you can, you know, run or cycle marathons and climb mountains or whatever it is you do. But there's no need for that if you're going into a job where you're sitting in an office all day. So what are we using the fitness for? We want to make it so we feel energized and vital in the day. Um, And when we do that, we don't exhaust ourselves with exercise. Then it comes that we have the energy for our day and it changes how we feel about things. So we often get that thing where there's the pressure to do high intensity movement and you feel good for a little bit after you've got that buzz, the adrenaline's going, the endorphins have been released but it passes and you're tired and you're exhausted. Whereas if you can move in a way where you can feel that exhaustion if you are tired or you can feel what's you're going on with you and then you can move and just allow for that, then you tend to have more energy through the day because you're not exhausting yourself with this pressure to build muscles, to look buff, to look you know like a hard man mm-hmm. which is which is what the way of life is around the world you know yeah. every guy wants to look big they want to look like james bond and actually feels inadequate if they don't have the you know the six pack or the the you know the incredible whatever it is that they've seen on television or in ads which very often have been manipulated to look like that mm. yeah I, got, I had a lovely story with a guy i worked with a while back um he won't mind me sharing because he's not in this country, so he won't hear this. Bonus, bonus. Um, but he came to me and said, I want to get killer abs. How can I get killer abs? And I kind of, I know I'm reasonably well, so I joked with him a little bit and I said, well, what do you want killer abs for? Um, how about we just work on getting you some steady abs? Just so. And he's, Very good. And so we had a bit of a laugh, but then it was, he was playing around with it because he, he knew it was coming from that desire to be that something he didn't need to be. And he came back to me with an email a couple of weeks later and said, thanks for that session. Um, I really appreciate that. I, I realized that that need for the killer abs came from not feeling enough as I was. And um, from there, he was he went, uh, now steady abs is enough for me. Oh, yeah. lovely. <laughs> yeah, so. It just, you know, self-esteem is huge, isn't it? It's, it's, it underlies so much. And my theory is that actually if we start started building self-esteem up again and not just resilience, um, I think we'd probably find a lot of these things would... We'd find we had resilience, but we have to have the self-esteem first because otherwise we build this hard shell of, yeah, no, I can do it. I, I survived that, so it means if it happens again, I'm going to be okay. But actually, the shock and trauma of what you experienced and the, the emotions that it might have been brought up, if you don't nominate and name and talk those through, then it's like your day. I, I've, I've got this picture of your day, um, Jeff, and I sort of think if you didn't actually debrief with someone, you'd say, yeah, I got through my day. It was a really tough day. Saw 15 patients. Perhaps that's a, small, a short day for you. Um, okay, 30, 40, 30. 40, 40 patients. 40 plus. 40 plus. I mean, to take on all of those personal stories in a day and not be able to share with someone every now and again is enormous. So you could become resilient to working that kind of a day. But if you didn't, there are the bits, it's like a nervous energy that goes on underneath. And that's where I think, you know, if we, if we make the focus self-esteem and self-care, then we actually put in place things that help us as your, your buddy system, talking it through with your colleague, 
to make sure that you don't, you learn how not to take that on, but just to observe, walk beside your clients, be with them and, you know, not feel like you need to have abs and muscles like Arnie. <laughs> if anyone knows who he is, Arnie Schwarzenegger. Yeah, there's a bit of a joke with self-esteem. A young person said, I, I wish I could be me, but I keep thinking someone else would be better qualified. Oh. And I think young people, they get pressures... There's expectations from parents, friends, schools, uh, you know, and, and they lose track sometimes of who they, they are. And it's, you're right. It's really critical. I had a young person come in two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago. They did a show on anxiety and they said one of the things that they talked to with all of their people who come through their program, it was a program that they were putting into their school, um, was um, be you and celebrate being you because everybody else is taken. Mm. <laughs> Which yeah. is rather lovely. That's mm. a great point. The, the, the problem we have with men is that they don't actually know what the, the being you is because yeah. they've been shown so many other ways to be that aren't them. And that's mm. such a big thing to get over and to allow men and boys to just be vulnerable and be, you know, be weak sometimes to cry, all these different mm. things. That starts so young, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, how many, well, I'm going to ask you in your room, when was the first time that you all heard someone say, oh, you know, suck it up, uh, stop that crying, don't be a girl? Did you hear any of those when you were growing up? Pretty well. Yeah. I'm, um, my son is, uh, was a school teacher, high school teacher, and he's had a soft personality, and I know that he's cried with some of his students. That's mm. uh, his, his nature. His sister, different personality. But that, um, I think all of us, the three of us guys here were different ages, but we will have all been told that ourselves at various age, suck it up. Mm. And I think that that's what I was saying way back in the beginning, that's that stigma in men over 58, 55 to 60 plus years of age is suck it up, get on with life, forget about it. Um, for me, I'm very lucky that um, my wife has a nursing background and so I can go home and talk to her about a case, may not be specifics, and know that I've debriefed with that. But I have also, over the years, looked at, and this is what I like about Steve saying about exercise, makes you feel better as well. That pyramid model, which is physical, um, mental, spiritual, mm. and social. That sp spiritual is uh, belief systems. Mm. And if you have that pyramid equalized those each, each triangle equalized it will stay balanced mm. if it goes out of kilter and that means too much of one of those areas you're less likely to be able to cope with day to day and so the movement thing that you're talking about the exercise thing actually stimulates the brain with endorphins gives better blood supply to the brain yeah. and makes you start to feel better to be able to carry the day out have less coffee yes if you think about it coffee is caffeine mm -hmm. Ni smoking is nicotine yeah. the next one that you've got is morphine codeine yeah. wow. they've all got the same IENs on the end of them they're highly addictive and brain altering drugs can we add sugarine in there I'm I sure, want to add sure, e on the end of that one I'm sure <laughs> in some countries would say it that way yeah yeah 
Oh, well, I'm mental health and, and physical health and addiction, mm. no question with sugar. So, But you're right, you know, and they're choices to make mm. that we can get addicted to. So, you know, with exercise, I know that when I was younger, that was my coping mechanism. I was just as addicted to exercise because it gave me that kick. But interestingly, I always had the come down afterwards. So mm. part of it is is that triangular balance. It's saying don't any one of those out of kilter isn't going to work. So if you're so religious or spiritual that you then reject all of life, that's equally not mm. living life. It's not a balance. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say, Lucy, before this example of you know, don't cry, don't be a girl. I mean, I still work with a lot of dads and hear that. A lot of dads telling their sons in this generation, stop crying, you know, don't be a girl, don't be a girl, come on. Sissy. Um, Certainly I remember my dad doing that. My dad was a a medic and a sergeant in the Army Reserve and I had a lot of that in my upbringing. But the thing is, men are built exactly the same way as women emotionally. We are built the same way. Mm. And the problem is we handle things very different. And I think if you look at the life expectancy rates, I mean, you always see women about, I think it's about 10 years, live about 10 it years is. longer. Yep. And, 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 and the main reason for that is that men do not share stuff. They do not talk about their feelings. They often end up dying from strokes and heart attacks. Well, their heart stuff, not... Because a lot yeah. of this is bottled up. And mm. what I tell a lot of men and, and young boys is the best way to deal with your feelings is to get someone else to understand what's going on. So I see a lot of kids who, they're like ticking time bombs. They've got really bad anger management problems. Um, And, of course, they want to punch things. They punch their bedroom walls and punching bags. But once you sit down with them and you actually get understand what's making them angry or what's making them stressed or depressed, suddenly uh, a world is lifted off their shoulders and they think, wow... This guy really understands what's mm. happening and it's huge release. So that's very important for men. A lot of men will bottle up all their stress and anger and it leads to really bad health problems later on in life. I want to take a moment to appreciate that both you and Jeff have expressed this morning that you meet people for who they are beyond their symptom, symptoms and their behaviour and that's pretty awesome. You know, because you're saying that anger management, it's so easy to run away from a boy or a girl, anyone who's angry. It's a horrible emotion to be around. It's scary. It's very imposing. But actually, just taking time to say, wow, I can see this is really big for you. It's really stressing you. I can see it's hard for you to contain it, but I need to understand it. So is there a way you can explain it to me so that I can hear it? which is you obviously have a way of connecting with them that that just gets them to just come down off the ledge, as it were. Yeah, I think my my very first job was working for the Ted Knox Foundation out in in Parramatta, and I walked into this drug and alcohol rehab, and there was one guy sort of holding a chair, and he was going to clobber me with it because he was really angry. Uh, And I ended up sitting down with him for about two hours and just talking to him, Um, and he later on sort of said, wow, no one's actually ever taken the time, you know. Either people will run away from him or they attack him. So How devastating. Yeah. So a lot of males need that. They actually just need someone to listen to. Uh, and often psychologists and counsellors are the one stable thing in a lot of these young boys' lives, so it's really important. I have noticed uh, when talking to a, a lot of 
young people that they'll often say, oh, look, I tried that. It didn't work. And it's worth saying, you know, you've got to try a lot of different people to find the one that works for you. The, it's like trying on shoes. The first pair isn't going to be the right one or the first practitioner you go to and the first time you pick up a phone particularly if it's the first time ever or if it's the first time in a long time you may not be open to receiving what someone is going to share with you because one they may come back with more honesty than you're ready to be open to at that time or they may just not get you they may not actually listen you've got to find the right one uh look unfortunately there are bad clinicians out there i had a client tell me the other day they went to see a psychiatrist they were telling them their life story and then they heard snoring and the, psychiat- <gasps> the psychiatrist had fallen asleep. Holy and what my client did was they didn't wake up the psychiatrist. They just very quietly opened the door, crept out, and, of course, they never went back. But, look, a young person will sum up a clinician in the first five minutes. They, they know whether you're the one. Yeah. And the way they vote is by not coming back. Yeah. So it is all about the rapport. And I see this with GPs as well. There's some really fantastic GPs out there who are really youth-friendly. There are others that aren't so good. Mm. It's the same with psychologists and counsellors and psychiatrists. Mm. It's about finding one that really fits. And and you may want to comment on that as well in your profession. I don't think... uh, any GP will say, oh, I'm not good at that. But I, I do agree that if you have a look in a waiting room and see which GPs have a lot of young people waiting for them, that's the answer. Yeah. But um, what I'm just interested in is, Steve, that um, when you're getting with people coming in for exercise, do you sort of identify their personalities, like what we're talking about, anger issues and things, and target exercise or training programs to help deal with maybe issues there? I think anger, not so much. You maybe wouldn't necessarily see it on the surface in the class, but you might see quite a lot of anxiety. A lot of people come in, and they're particularly nervous about coming into an exercise session because often there is this stigma with exercise that the experience from school, even going back for an older person, was not pleasant. Mm -hmm. It was always quite hard, and it was was about doing something quite uncomfortable. Mm. So a lot of people carry that through their lives, and maybe they think, oh, I've got to do exercise because the doctor told me to. But actually, I don't really want to do it. So sometimes you get people who don't want to be there. So it's about trying to change their perception of what Mm. exercise is into that movement that's enjoyable Mm -hmm. so that they want to come back. Because the key thing with exercise, I feel, isn't so much that you have a big lots of you know muscle loading but it's the consistency of mm. doing it all the time mm. so that you're not um losing the opportunity to gain from the movement mm. and when i talk about movement it's just very simple things mm. even like walking as well encouraging people mm. to do more of that so that bring builds up their self-esteem mm. and that's coming back to what we've all been talking about the self-esteem i know that um uh, i've been told that i bit hands-on and uh, in hindsight every time a patient leaves my room and I wasn't aware of it until someone told me I put my hand on their shoulder and say have a good day and and I'm not sure where that's come from but the skin is the biggest organ in the body and from what Steve's saying with exercise uh, you can have massage or some tactile thing from parents to young children and that soothing reaction, babies, you see it, that if you can 
if you talk to them, it doesn't help. But if you can calmly stroke them, and as I just said, the skin being the biggest organ, it's known that it may release serotonin and dopamine and those things. So at times, maybe having a, uh, a massage may be a success. Successful, or the exercise programs that you're exercise programs that you're dealing with, um, are showing them how to do things. We know that we've got more and more people that have got dyslexia or learning difficulties, and so there, those unco kids, mm. and by your type of programs is excellent for them. You know, I used to have a six pack. I've now got two six packs, one on each other. It's called a keg, and uh, <laughs> but the thing is, I still know how to get out. And what you're giving is great for self-esteem, and maybe serotonin and uh, all the other hormones that we don't know about yet. Mm. Fantastic. What's really actually interesting, though, if we bring the subject to my experience of exercise with men, is that it's really, really difficult to get them to engage. And mm-hmm. it's virtually all women that you tend to see in the classes. You'll get mm-hmm. the odd man here and there. Mm-hmm. It's they just don't want to go to something that uh, isn't, it's just for themselves, basically. It's mm-hmm. really difficult to get men to care for themselves in that way. So mm-hmm. can I clarify, You men mostly want the outcome as opposed to doing something less full on? Is yeah, that I- as in less high intensity? It's not the no. I think it's more the. I mean, it's obviously you can't generalize because there's different men. But in general, men tend to be more engaged by something where there is um, a sporting or a comp- competitive side okay. to it. Yeah. And that's obviously something that's been sort of um, nurtured from a young age um, to be. So when it comes to an older age, if we're talking about the older age um, adults, where they don't have that, then they tend to not exercise because. They've, they're not able to do that sport anymore, so they no longer want mm. to do anything. Mm. Um, so I am going to challenge you here. You <laughs> run a Golden Games. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Because yeah. there is a little bit in there that could be sort of the older person's games. Sure, That's- yes. So I've run, um, I've run a Golden Games uh, festival. This was one I ran in Scotland, actually. Um, so the idea with this is it's for over six days um, to take part in That's different right. sports, <laughs> quite a lot of over six days. And I think the other thing is we have to kind of reset what we see as over 60 now because everyone thinks six day. Well, not everyone thinks, but in the past we've had this idea that 60 is old, but it's not now. No. Um, there's some, um, I have some 80-year-olds I teach, and I can't believe they're 80. Um, anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, the Golden Games basically is a festival of sport and games for um, over 60s to take part in doing a wide range of activities. Some of them might be like walking versions of sports, or they might be um, simple exercise classes, a range of different temp and bowling rock climbing even, the things that challenge the stereotype of what it is to, to be older, ice skating, those kind of activities. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of them. We ran around about 30 different activities. That's extraordinary. Um, and it, it is easier to engage men in that, but particularly if you can get some buy-in from a sports club, like a professional sports club, yeah. a lot of men will come to activities where there is something they were engaged in. Um, so I would imagine in Australia we'd be looking at cricket or, or football or rugby, um, but really whatever was engaging them. And that's a way to engage men into activity. Or re-engage them. Re-engage as just, them. You know, as bringing them back in after 
after um, maybe a long time away because they've put on weight and they just know that they can't play rugby, football, cricket, badminton, squash in the way they could so they don't do anything. But it's really interesting on the point of, um, from my experience of older guys, I had one, one guy as a story, as an example, who came along to what was called walking football. So they, you play football, mm. but you walk rather mm. than run, run. And um, I actually knew his daughter and his family a little bit. And his daughter told me after he came back from these sessions each week that he was more communicative. He would share much more about how he was feeling, what was going on for him after having done the sort of 60 minutes of, of walking football activity. Wow, so the the body was helping the expression. The Getting, oh, okay, so this matches with what you were saying, David, that the heart, getting the heart going, gets the communication, the expression going. Mm. Well, what do you reckon, Jeff, in your doctor surgery, mm. do you reckon a lot of the heart issues that you see could possibly be due to lack of expression? loving expression well we know that negative neurochemicals uh, have an adverse effect on the body and they're finding most probably more and more about what causes vascular disease and uh, stress Mm. anxiety vulnerability of viruses Mm. infections Uh, I think it's a combination of all of those things you do notice that if you are a um, a sad person, that your general health will be impaired. Mm-hmm. You'll find that you may have abnormalities of some of your um, biochemicals, which may in themselves be causing problems with the uh, vascular system. Uh, it's interesting that if, as Stephen was saying, if I actually asked someone to go out and walk for half an hour, they wouldn't do it. Mm. But if you can give them an activity, mm. which is just walking but kicking a football to somebody, yeah, and that's what they're used to doing because in Scotland, I think they play a bit of soccer in Scotland, um, <laughs> and uh, they can do that activity. Yeah. That is de-stressing. It's giving them the exercise, and it's going to make their body be in tune Mm. I suppose, you know, cars need to be tuned up, bodies need to be tuned up. That's right. Mm. And it's about connection too, isn't it? Because clearly it's about doing group work and Mm. loneliness is a massive problem Mm. with mental health. So when you you say, if I tell someone to go walking, they won't do it, but kicking a football with someone, if there's someone else involved there, it becomes a relationship and someone to to connect with. Mm. I've noticed with the people that I work with or maybe even with my children when I taught them to drive we had a much better conversation because we weren't looking at each other we were looking at the road we it's just something else to take Mm. your mind off the intensity of some of the subjects you might be discussing Mm. yeah and I think there was a a really good point raised there certainly around uh, negative thinking that um, certainly with all the young people I see who suffer depression Negative thinking is one of the biggest causes. And um, I mean, I love the, the Monty Python song, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, and I think it's one of my philosophies. But I see a lot of young people where they might lie uh, awake in bed at night and they'll actually think about all the failures they've done. They'll think about the soccer goal that they missed. They'll think about the 49% in the mass exam they got. So a lot of young people I see with depression 
will just hone in on those failures and mm. it becomes like this broken record. Um, a lot of them will also catastrophize a lot. So um, if that girl doesn't go out with me for the formal, well, then, look, it's the end of the world. I'm going to kill myself. Um, I'm going to, you know, I often hear I am going to fail my HSC. I'm going to stuff it up. I'm going to fail it. So a lot of kids are really getting into this negative spiral of thinking. And uh, a lot of the work I do is I try and challenge young people to look for the positive in everything they do in their life, even the, the small things. And I also challenge parents to do that as well. So if your teenager is getting negative, try and, as a parent, challenge them to look for the positive. I always think no, no matter how bad our life is, you can always find the positive. And that's very important with anyone with depression. Realistically, if we're looking at self-esteem as being what we're ultimately trying to build something for here, mm. unless you can appreciate the, the innate things that you're amazing at, like just being alive, I mean, we, we, we don't put labels on a newborn baby. We say, oh, you are just delicious and divine and gorgeous and amazing. If we know that that is inside every single one of us, and then we have we have natural things that we do. Some of us um, can see very clearly what is not working and are able to vocalize it. Other people can see very clearly where there is a lack of harmony and can actually bring people together. You know, the, there are different skills. Some are great with math. Some are great with English. If we work as a team, we all do fantastically well, but we have to get to know ourselves and our bodies for what we... And then appreciate that, to build that to be a foundation to then take forward so that the critical voice has a little less space coming from our bodies, you know, because there's a foundation of actually appreciation first. And I think the difficulty there is that trying to teach young people that self-esteem comes from within, and that's really difficult for young people to grasp because because of media and social media, mm. um, a lot of boys and girls will see a lot of photoshopped images mm. of male models and female models. Uh, there's a whole range of, of issues for women and men around body image. And so a lot of uh, young people just think my self-esteem comes from what I wear, the way I look, yeah. my six-pack. And that's, that's it's, it's tough. Mm. It's touch, tough to teach them this notion that, well, actually it comes from inside of you. Mm. Yeah, but it's very important. Just want to pick up on something that David said there that there's a lot of negative thoughts, self-esteem issues, all of those aspects. I, I sort of theorised as those negative, constant negative thoughts about themselves and that others then will t uh, top onto them because, of course, you are acting in a way that I'm going to reinforce that when I see you. Therefore, is that going to, in time, push their adrenaline levels up Adrenaline levels up cause vasoconstriction. Vasoconstriction causes hypertension. Hypertension yep. causes vascular problems, and uh, and then this this cycle goes around. And so uh, it all comes down to what you're saying, though, that the self esteem quite often um, teachers will say to that poor child at school, "Why are you so far behind all the time? Why are you this? They're the ones that are then." put into detention, but they most probably are not a be and their class is a behavioural issue, but they're a learning issue, which could be a dyslexia, and they actually need their building up of their self-esteem because all that teacher's doing is reinforcing the way the child already feels about themselves, mm. and that's going to then impact on their adulthood 
which then impacts onto their geriatric hood. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. With no, if there's no circuit breaker or no one comes into their life to show them there's another way. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I and I think. I think just generally with social media, I mean, it, 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 things are so much different and especially with with boys and certainly one thing I'm noticing a lot with boys is uh, quite a lot of disrespect towards women uh, and I think this is because of everything on uh, the internet and the media. Uh, average age for Australia for a boy to look at pornography is about 11 in Australia mm-hmm. Um, so I deal with a lot of girls where they say, oh, all these boys are asking him to send nude photos of themselves. And I've had my 12-year-old nieces get some really horrible stuff sent to them uh, through text messaging and stuff like that. So unfortunately, I think, yeah, I think we need to do a lot of work with our younger males about getting them to also respect women, just about a lot of the stuff that they're seeing with internet pornography in the media. So... That's another big concern as well. Yeah, mm. Interesting. Today on the radio as I was coming in here, they were talking about um, sexting mm-hmm. as not being a criminal act. They're ex- this is, it was on, on the news or some, one of the radio broadcasters was talking about it, that uh, for uh, you know, 18, over 18-year-olds, mm. they're saying that it will not be – they're looking at deregulating it somehow. Yeah. Which is crazy. And I know there's a massive yeah. campaign in the youth field to yeah. de- deregulate it amongst consenting yeah. teenagers yeah. because it's part of the discovery. Yeah. For me, that it just yeah. it's normalising something that actually I'm not sure we should be normalising. I just mm-hmm. I think I probably see the the where it goes wrong way more often than where it goes right, which is why I look at it and go, well, are we just saying yes to something, but we're not actually helping? These young people, um, we're just saying, oh, look, because it's normal, we'll say yes, rather than because the young person knows that there's an element of it that makes them feel uncomfortable. So, Especially when one of those photos goes viral. Yes. And uh, you can potentially destroy it. You don't plan for that, do you, really? No, but, yeah, I think often if a, if a boy asks for his girlfriend's nude photo, often he'll then share that amongst his mm-hmm. friends at school. And then it just goes viral and uh, that poor girl is, uh, her reputation's really badly affected. And of course we mustn't forget, um, I I don't know the age of our listeners, but we mustn't forget that that is uh, child pornography. So if you're, even if you're under age and you have it on your phone, you are um, distributing child pornography. That's correct. If you're doing it, you are also distributing. So whether you're the person taking the photograph or the person receiving it, it's a, it's actually a criminal offence, and it goes to be it goes to charge straight away. There's no warning sign, so or there's no warning system. So you'd find yourself in juvenile justice or um, the criminal system if you're an adult very quickly. Um, amazing. I uh, that hour has gone really really fast. We have the last few minutes um, to really. I would love to hear some top tips. What would you say, bearing in mind the subject we've we've talked about now? I'm clearly going to have you all in again individually to <laughs> talk for longer. But for now, what would be your top tips for International Men's Day when we're talking about um, really caring, no, understanding the relationship between physical and mental health? David, let's start with you. Um, well, I use the example earlier on of one of my best friends killing himself when he was 13. And, and, and look, nobody knew. You know, this was a happy guy academically in a sporting perspective. So, unfortunately, we we do have eight people committing suicide every day in Australia. 
um, six of those are men every wow. single day in Australia. So Which, the question, if you put that on any other any other illness, would be major problem. Sorry it, for interrupting. No, that's okay. So, I suppose what I want to leave listeners with is well, how can we look at the warning signs? And it is very hard. Um, I do love the the Are You Okay Day campaign. It's something yeah. very simple, but. I think at the end of the day, if you're out there in the workplace uh, or within your family or in your social life, you notice someone is acting differently. Um, I haven't heard one of my colleagues, uh, Julian Lisa, in his maiden speech sort of say, talking about his father's uh, suicide. And he sort of said he noticed his father had stopped caring about how he parked the car uh, and giving hugs and things. And so sometimes just little things people are doing are a bit abnormal uh, it's important to say, are you okay? Are things all right? Sit down. Um, because six men killing themselves every day, it's, it, it's, it's out of control. We need to do so much more about it as a community. So it's just looking at those little warning signs in your workplace and in your social life and just chatting to people, asking if they're okay. Lovely. Mm. Thank you. Stephen? Well, I think the first message for men is to remember that they're uh, human beings first before they're human doings. Mm. Um, and really for men, it's I would say the advice is if you can get involved in some activity or exercise or movement of some kind, even if it's on your own to start with, or get out there and try something new you've not done before that's in a group setting and enjoy doing that with other people. Um, really is as simple as that as well looking at why we're doing the exercise so not needing to do it to get a certain outcome but just doing it for ourselves just to feel good so we know that movement makes us feel good we know it makes us feel better can you spare 10 minutes in the day to do that 10 minutes is a great starting point Hmm. lovely jeff actually almost like david's summary almost summarized a whole lot for us it's rather alarming to hear six men and I think the evidence may show that there's quite a few of the males are farmers. Mm. And so we've got our rural men that are isolated, don't have a network, which um, other uh, you know, in the city that we have, that you, when, I, like, when I'm almost dealing with this type of topic, it's just almost the same as Alcoholics Anonymous and same as when I'm talking to people about stop smoking. Get a buddy system. Mm. If you are feeling down someone who you can trust that you can talk to and ring at any time and say, hey, look, I'm feeling not oh, not so good. I was going to use another word. Um, and mm-hmm. you can talk to them. Mm-hmm. Then I think the other important thing, and a lot of us professionals, myself included, don't have a balance in our life. And all of a sudden you become 62, 64, 65. You think, what am I going to do when I retire? Mm. You haven't already thought about that. I'm not going to do anything. Uh, I don't have fishing. I don't read books. I don't do this. So already at this point in your life, start looking at activities which may involve family and other people that you can go out and enjoy and while there, laugh and get that balance. As that pyramid I said, you know, the physical, mental, social and spiritual, get that balance starting now while you've got time to think about it. 
Yeah, and, and start creating a life that isn't about when you're on and when you're off, when you're at work, when you're not. Really embodying that student, that human being rather than human doing, which, mm. you know, I think that's our normal is the human doing. Mm. So beautiful place to end it. Thank you all so much. That's great. Thank you very much. I'm sure thank it's you. a conversation where we'll continue going. And thank you for bringing out Judy and Lisa because he's closing out the show today, oh, talking, at him, talking to him uh, right at the end. Fantastic. So thank you very much. Um, you're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. And thank you for joining us on International Men's Day.